I am featured on an amazing summit called the Intrabiz Summit alongside Dr. John D. Martini, Sharon Lecter, Evan Carmichael, Rob Moore, Les Brown, Brian Tracy, 30 of the world's leading industry authorities over a three-day period, November 25th to November 27th. And it's all going to be about how to rise to thrive going into 2021. So looking forward to seeing that. It's free to join. If you want to pre-purchase some of the audio recordings, use the promo code INTROAS10, INTROAS10, and uh, We'll see you on the Interbase Summit. Take care. Bye-bye. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And here I am today with James Whitaker. Uh, James, we've been trying to get James on for a, for quite a few months, but who is James? Well, James is a international best-selling author. He's a speaker. He's an entrepreneur. He's actually interviewed 200 of the world's business influencers and disruptors and athletes from around the world to basically unlock their secrets to success. His books include the best-selling book, which is called uh, The Beginner's Guide to Wealth, all right, and the Think and Grow Rich Legacy, which was published in 2018, and also most recently written Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite in September 2020, which is really exciting, which we'll talk about shortly. And James's mission is to help people take ownership of their life financially, physically, and mentally so they can so they can win the day. So James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Adam. Great to see you. Good for you to be here, man. Really, really excited to be here. So I know that you started off your journey in financial planning and, and wealth management and things like that. How did you, I suppose, take the skills from financial planning and wealth management into entrepreneurship? Because that's that's really fascinating for me. Yeah, well, I realize that people just because they're, they might have a good career, maybe they're a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, but that doesn't automatically equate to them being good at their money. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have done education to some high levels, like I've got a master's degree in business and a couple of undergrad degrees, things like that. But what really taught me about business was actually having a business myself. And then once you've had a few businesses and relationships and all those types of things, I feel like that's the real education. And there's a quote from Napoleon Hill, and it says, it doesn't matter what you know, it matters what you do with what you know. And I feel like so many people put too much emphasis on what they're learning in these educational systems, which are important. Don't get me wrong. They're very, very important. But what you do with what you know matters so much more. So working for a big company in Australia for, you know, had more than $2 billion under management. I, I it was a great foundation, but it was only when I went out and started my own entrepreneurial journey that I felt so much more equipped of course, learning a lot of lessons the hard way now to be in a position to be able to help a lot of people. Mm. I mean, it's great. I mean, interesting. We all have our own, I suppose, stories, you know, how we transitioned or 
or whatever it might be, you know, and, and I know that we're going to talk about your books and we're going to talk a little about the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And I suppose that the fact that you were kind of more of a scholar, you know, that you graduated as a student from, from Napoleon Hill. And we've got common friends, Sharon Lecter and Don Green, CEO of uh, Napoleon Hill Foundation, which we'll talk about as well. But I know in your early years, you suffered from um, crippling anxiety from what I read and crippling anxiety disorder, sorry. And I suppose some people have experienced that or, or have, I suppose, have, are still going through that anxiety, especially in these interesting times right now. But what emotions did you experience in that time? And how did you face your demons? Yeah, it was, it was a really horrible time because I just didn't really know who I was and I wasn't clear on where I wanted to go. And inevitably, anyone who I talk to today who is feels like they're treading water or they just not things aren't working out for them. It's because of two things. They're not clear on who they are and they're not clear on where they want to go. So I always have a really, really comprehensive answer internally for those two questions. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very difficult time, the the anxiety stuff, because I just didn't understand it. Now I'm older and I, I understand that I feel like it's something that you can never really uh, perhaps beat 100%. Like every now and then there are certain triggers that just have these feelings. But to be able to go from finding it difficult in many cases to sit in a classroom to speaking on stage in front of 2000 people, which I actually enjoy, like it has been an amazing evolution to where I am today. And a lot of the work I do today is because I'm so passionate about helping people. They might necessarily suffer from anxiety, but there are kids like teenagers and these young adults who are in a very impressionable age where, you know, so many of them are taking their own lives and it's a very, very difficult situation, something that I'm just deeply passionate about. And also I think we're too quick to medicate and we're too quick to label young people. Like we rarely, even when we give someone a label like, oh, you're really smart, it just doesn't have any, uh, it doesn't embed practically in what they're doing. I saw someone the other day who'd posted on under Facebook that finally they'd done a really big, you know, their life is sorted because at the age of 40, they were given a, a diagnosis from a psychologist that in, you know, for, for a disorder that they had. And I, I just want to sit that person down and say, can I diagnose you with perhaps four or five things, you know, and give them opportunities to talk about resourcefulness and resilience and being proactive and being able to create the circumstances that they want. Mm. Because what happens when we when we get that label is we think, oh, cool, that's just me because I have that label. But we don't think about that on the on the positive side. So I'm, I'm really passionate about helping young people in particular, uh, you know, who have so much potential. And anyone who's a little bit older, who is still here, well, guess what, think about all the obstacles that you've overcome, which means that you are much stronger for being here in, in 2020. 21. Absolutely. And I love the fact that, you know, you, you help young people because, you know, you were young, you know, a long time ago and, and, and you've lived that, you know, you've got the t-shirt type of thing. So you, you, you come from experience more than anything else. And I love that about you, which is great. What about entrepreneurship? Because I know that, you know, pressures of society, pressures of running a business, life in general, but how does, I suppose, anxiety from that perspective and, you know, and you being a little bit older now, how does that is it, have you seen any, I suppose, uh, any common patterns between, you know, sort of the younger generation and entrepreneurs and, and what, what sort of advice would you have for people? Yeah, I, I think when parents are too quick to hand out things to their kids as they are in that delicate stage of going from, you know, where you're giving them a little bit of freedom, right. if they have never experienced adversity, it's going to be a very, very, very difficult five, six, seven, eight year period for them. So the biggest fear I have for my daughter, she's 18 months old, love her more than anything in the whole world. 
world. She's my, she's my best friend and she's full of energy. My biggest fear for her growing up is that she's going to realize the world is a big, dark, scary place. So it's my job as a parent to make sure I can gently introduce her into situations where she can realize, wow, we actually are very, you know, we're in a very fortunate position, which means we have an obligation to go and help back. I think the two biggest attributes for entrepreneurs to succeed are resourcefulness and resilience. Mm-hmm. And resourcefulness just comes from being around the right people and, and knowing what you want and, and, and learning from these stories like in Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy and Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite. I've, I've really become a, a really big conduit of people who have faced enormous adversity to share their stories so you understand what's possible for you. Mm-hmm. And then if you're super clear on where you want to go, it's so much easier for you to be be resilient because how you respond to adversity when it inevitably strikes is what separates ordinary people from extraordinary achievers. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed people, as I'm sure you have, you know, people who have been literally hit by trucks, people who have gone blind at the age of 18 and gone on to become the author of 30 best-selling books, people who were born without arms, who have gone on to become a pilot. Like there are so many stories like that. And if you can harness these attributes, they are the best things around entrepreneurship, far more valuable than a degree. You'll notice the one thing that I don't have behind me is a degree. My, my wife once said to me, should we put our degrees up on the wall? It just, I said, no, it just doesn't mean anything to me. The people that I can help, that means a lot to me. Having an environment that inspires me so I can create a bigger impact, that means a lot to me. But as, as far as a means to an end where you think your life's problems are going to be solved by acquiring a piece of paper, it's just, it's just not accurate. So I'm, I'm true. I'm very passionate about that entrepreneurial journey because it's uh, it's such a tough uh, it's such a tough route. I feel like entrepreneurs constantly are on that tightrope between burnout and impact. Mm-hmm. Burnout and impact. How can you how can you do that while trying to sustain a, a life and a family and your your physical health and your mental health and, and everything at the same time? Yeah, it's a crazy world as I like to call it. Now I know that interestingly enough you know, we talked, you talked about Napoleon Hill a little bit as well. And we talked about the, the, the Hill Foundation, but what impact has Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich had on, on you? And how did you implement the principles from the book so that you have become the person that you've become today? So wasn't, so the most profound, to, to break that down, so the most profound principle from Think and Grow Rich, the 1937 mm. book, you know, which I'm yeah. sure everyone uh, has probably heard of. It sold more than 120 million copies around the world, best-selling self-help book of all time. The number one principle that has changed my life is relationships. Now, the way mm. that Napoleon Hill talks about that in Think and Grow Rich is through the power of the mastermind. And that means you don't need to have all of the answers yourself. You can surround yourself with a diverse mix of people on the condition that your mission becomes a shared mission with those people. So when I was in Australia and and now where I am in America, I am always surrounded by a, a really core group of six or seven or eight people who would do anything for me and I would do anything for them. We know exactly at all times what those people need and how we can help those people. Because if you're not clear and you don't broadcast what you want and where do you want to go and how other people can help you, then they can't help you and they won't. 
So the power of the mastermind means you have that transparency and you're boldly of service to the other people in the group. And another big part of that, which is actually one of the big things we discuss in Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite, is that the best way to give, sorry, the best way to get is to actually give first. So many people are focused on this transactional relationship. And if you're thinking on, on establishing something for the long term by just being clear on, 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 on what someone else needs and making sure you can do anything you want to get there. I had, I had someone on my podcast recently and I asked him, what's one thing on your bucket list? And he said, it's my dream to be on Saturday Night Live. That now goes into my brain and it's something that I will always think about. So if I'm in a situation where this person, if I can say to him in five years time or 10 years time, hey, guess what? I've got a contact for you to get on Saturday Night Live. That's an example of the power of the mastermind and boldly being of service. But people struggle to get out of their own heads. It's so much easier. You, you really can't have any true success alone. That's why I'm so passionate about other people because all of the opportunities in my life, everything in my life is as a result of opportunities. And that has come from doing the right thing by people and continually becoming an increasingly a person of increasing value. Hmm. And the other one there is, is something that we have touched on. That's the first principle of thinking grow rich and that's desire. Napoleon Hill wrote that the starting point of all achievement is desire. Now, when you're focusing on desire and you have this, it's, it's a burning desire. It's not something weak. Something weak is going to be easily extinguished. But if you can fan the flames of this desire, then you can make a raging inferno of your own and direct it to achieve whatever you want. And at the times when you think of that burning desire, it's much easier for you to start any project by beginning with the end in mind. When you've got that, that finished line, that's all these, all these elements overlap with create that resourcefulness and, and resilience that we've spoken about as well. So, uh, so many lessons from, from thinking grow rich and I've, I've consumed so much of his content now with, with Spotify through the Napoleon Hill uh, audio recordings and, and of course through people like Jim Rohn who, uh, who cites Napoleon Hill as his biggest influence. I mean, there are so many, uh, so many things for, for Napoleon Hill. He was the one that changed my dad's life. So, you know, I, I am acutely aware of his power and the people that you and I have both interviewed is a, is a real testament to, to what can happen with the right mindset. Absolutely. Very cool. I know that I was going to say, you mentioned around the whole kind of, you know, give first sort of principle as such, but I'd like to talk more about that, especially because it's, I feel from an entrepreneur perspective and the reason why, you know, we're having fun on this podcast is purely because that's one of my philosophies. That's one of my values. I believe in giving first and the universe rewards you. How does, I suppose, the power of the universe and, and kind of giving first, how do they entwine and interlink with each other? And, you know, and I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that, that kind of say, well, you know, that's all very well, uh, Adam or, uh, and James, but, you know, how does that translate into financially? You know, how do I grow my business with that? You know, how do, how do you put a, uh, I don't know, how do you put some, some, it's like they're looking for this ROI as such, you know what I mean? They're looking for this return on investment. And if they don't get it, they just think it doesn't work. Yeah, there's what well, I, I feel concepts going around. And I think the, the 2006 film, The Secret, was a great project, but they probably could have embedded a bit more on the practical side through reinforcing that consistent purposeful action. That's what 
Napoleon Hill, he's, he's very, very big on, on reinforcing it with consistent purposeful action for everything that you do. There's someone I interviewed recently on my podcast called Adam Carroll. Now, Adam Carroll talks about how it was his dream, just to give a, a practical example of the, of the law of attraction in real life. Adam had told me the story a few years ago, but when he came on my Win the Day with James Whitaker podcast, it was the number one question that I wanted to ask him because I wanted to have a recording of this, of this concept. Now, Adam, it was his dream to do a TED talk. Adam speaking to, he's a financial literacy crusader, but it was his dream to do a TED talk, but he had no idea how he's going to go about it. And so at the bottom of his email signature, I forget the exact wording, but he basically put, it is my dream to speak on a TED stage. If you or someone you know is in a position to help, I would greatly appreciate an introduction. A simple email will suffice. That's what he put in bold red letters at the bottom of every single email he sent out. And then about six months later, someone contacted him. Who, so that obviously we can see that the elements already a, a desire. He knew exactly what he want. And he took purposeful action about making sure that got in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are going to be reading these emails from him throughout that period. Finally, he was someone responded to that email and said, look, I can see how important this is to you. I'm on the uh, selection committee for this. Uh, I think it was the University of Milwaukee. And Adam was able to go and speak at that TED talk. And that went well, like it was a great thing for him. And, and he got his bucket list tick. And then something else happened. Someone had seen that talk and there was an opportunity for him at the London Business School to do a talk. And because Adam had that previous TED talk, they knew what type of guest he would be. And Adam did a presentation on what playing Monopoly with real money with his family, with his kids, taught me about life and humanity. He did that TED Talk there that has now got more than 10 million views across TED Talk website wow. and, uh, and on YouTube. It's completely transformed his life. All because he included what he wanted in his email signature completely transformed his life and his business and his family and everything. If people don't know what they want and they're not willing to be resourceful around thinking, what can I do to make sure this gets into the eyeballs of as many people as possible? I mean, that is the law of attraction absolutely in, in full effect, in full effect. But people complain about what they don't have without recognizing that redirecting that exact same amount of energy they use to complain about their circumstances they just redirected that exact same amount of energy. They could create whatever circumstances they wanted. That's why I love that story of, of Adam Carroll. People can apply that in finance. They can apply that in, in any industry they want. That's a good story. I, I think that's a really good story. And I, and I think uh, also the other thing that I picked up from what you've just said there is intention. If you want something, not just desire, but desire plus intention will get you what you want in life, you know, and I, and I love that. I love that intention that Adam's put out there and what a great name. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you also released a book, you know, in September last month, actually two months ago, actually, which was all around Andrew Carnegie's uh, mental dynamite, which I love the title. I think it's fantastic, but I'd like for you to just talk a little bit about the, the three main principles in the book because they are uh, really interesting. And I, you know, and, and I guess how they can then be applied to today's world. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest principles that we talk about that is this learning from defeat. So how you respond to adversity when it inevitably strikes. I mean, it's, it's so important. That's really, really, really powerful is, is knowing that when life 
comes to you in, in ways, it knocks you off course. It's just part of life. You might have the best plan, but as Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> so how, how are you going to respond when that happens to you? Whatever that, whatever that might be. I feel far more equipped to deal with any adversity that I face now as a result of, of the work that I have done you know, for the last 10 years. But if, if you go back to 16 year old James Whitaker, he would have no idea, no idea at all how to handle those things. Another big thing that we talk about is the golden rule applied. That says what you do to another, you do to yourself. But one of the, the biggest uh, light bulb moments that I have had as part, of, as, as part of this project is recognizing that what if every thought impulse you had added to your character? So we talk about think and grow rich, which could just as easily have been called think and grow poor. The premise is exactly the same. <laughs> but what if every single thought impulse you have, good or bad, adds up to your character? I read that and oh my God, the you know, it, it gave me shivers thinking about it and still does every time I, I think about it. So every thought impulse, because it sort of becomes like a bit of a shock collar. When you have a when you have a negative thought, then you're like, oh my God, if I if I dwell on that for too long, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to become a, a negative person. So there are some of the themes that we that we talk about in the book, and there are a lot of individuals and companies are referenced in there as well. There are companies like Costco, mm -hmm. a massive company in, in America who pay their staff double the national average. Um, they've also got almost 90% of the of their employees have company sponsored health insurance, and their share price has gone up almost 400% in the last 20 years. That's an example of a company that's doing very, very well by looking after their staff, doing the right thing by the community and the social good uh, at the same time as they're looking after their, their corporate interests. You don't need to have these things where it's a zero sum game where for someone to win the other, you know, for the, the, the shareholders to win, the, the employees need to lose. So there's a lot of interesting themes in this book that I think are perfect for a world that we're in uh, affected by a pandemic where so many people are stuck in the mud as far as achieving their goals go. Absolutely. 100% agree. I was going to say to you actually because you know we've got some mutual friends and we talked about Don Green and Sharon Lecter which you know she, she wrote the I believe it was the foreword or the afterword as, as I like to call it and and Don Green and and things like that. How, how, how much of an impact has Don had on your life? And because, you know, he's obviously the CEO of the Napoleon Hill Foundation and a good friend of ours and things like that. But what sort of impact has he had on your life and what have you learned from him? Yeah, Don's a, Don's a fantastic guy. I, I love Don. We talk every couple of weeks. I was actually in Wise County in Virginia. When was that? A few, a few years back. So I, I made it a point to, uh, I was in Nashville. And Wise County in Virginia is where Napoleon Hill is from, and there's there's not much else around there. Like it's a it's a fairly it's a fairly remote place, and uh, so I had I had rented a car in Nashville and I drove out there to see Don, which is you know there's just no substitute for being able to spend a few days with with someone. So I first met Don during the project for Thinking Grow Rich: The Legacy, and it was when I had an opportunity there to interview him about his background. He is a he is a man of stout integrity. He is someone who just wants to help other people succeed. He's done such a great job with the legacy of Napoleon Hill and keeping those teachings alive in universities and prisons and, and just about everywhere in between. He is so busy and so active as, as far as securing foreign rights for all the Napoleon Hill book contracts so they can continue to go around the world. Uh, I have, you know, if Don calls me and, and he has a question, anything he wants, he can he can have. I'm I'm such a massive fan of Don's. Uh, he's a, a wonderful guy, and I'm just you know 
it's it's very much a it, it feels just weird just being involved with Don and the Napoleon Hill Foundation. There's a, a really great crew of people around them, people like Satish Verma, who's the president of the Thinking and Grow Rich Institute, uh, and also people like Sharon Lecter, who you mentioned, who's just a yeah, Sharon and Tish and I were, were speaking on the Think and Grow Rich World Tour and it just they're just lovely people and I just I, I learned so much from them in the way they carry themselves and, and how giving they are and and just making sure anyone around them has everything they need to to succeed. They're just they're so generous with their time and expertise. Absolutely. And I suppose they're living living people that I suppose, you know, you talked about you know the the desire you talked a little bit about resourcefulness all of the things that you're talking about is i suppose they don't just talk about it they actually live by it Do you know what i mean they live by those principles and and i love that i think that's fantastic yeah it's a good point adam sorry to sorry to interrupt you there there's a lot of people who the things that aren't going right in their lives and they claim they're massive fans of thinking grow rich and they haven't really they don't really understand the material. It's it's something that we that we actually talk about often with Satish and Sharon and Don and I. It's there are there are people out there who claim to be big proponents of this material, but if their life is moving or, or they have all these toxic relationships and, and things like that around them, clearly, clearly they don't know the material as well as they think they do. Well, I was going to ask you because you know, I mean, Napoleon Hill, Andrew Carnegie, you know, they, they were prodigies in their own right. But you know, we're talking in the thirties here. You know, we, it's way above. Almost, almost a hundred years, you know, and it was, you know, content that was created such a long time ago, and it was such ahead. Of, it was so ahead of it for its time, and, I mean, you mentioned about the fact that a lot of people that have maybe have read the book but just don't get it right, and but then there's people like yourself, that you know, a very small minority of people that have revolutionized themselves and uh, impact others around the world. Why is it that? those people just don't get it apart from the fact that they maybe they just don't get the material what, what are your thoughts on this it's a good question adam it's a good question i i think people don't read it in the in the right way so if you pick up something once or maybe you buy think and grow rich because you think it looks cool on your bookshelf <laughs> there are people like sharon lecter and bob proctor and don green and myself and satish and rob deerdeck the skateboarder turned business mogul we brandon adams we read this stuff constantly and when you do that, you read it with a pen and paper or you take notes on your phone and you think about how you can apply it into your life. And then you apply, you revisit it. And what happens when you read this book often enough is that you don't notice something new in the book, you notice something new in yourself because you naturally have more life experience that you can bring to it at, at that point. People just, they just don't know how to read these, these books. And, and to be quite frank, Thinking Grow Rich is is not necessarily an easy read. Like there are many other books that you could read that you know that you feel are more entertaining. Uh, so I think it, it it can be difficult to give someone like a fourteen year old thinking grow rich and say, here you go, your, your life now is going to be perfect because ninety nine percent of people do nothing with it. But when they're ready, like that, when the student is ready, the master will appear. Thinking Grow Rich is a phenomenal book. There's Napoleon Hill's grandson, J.B. Hill, who is in Thinking Grow Rich: The Legacy. He was given a copy of Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, but it included like a $20 bill, I think it was, inside. So J.B. Hill was more interested in the money and ended up giving away his book to the girlfriend that he had at the time, and then they ended up breaking up and and absolute disaster situation. But when J.B. Hill was ready. He went back and found his way to the material, even though his grandfather, Napoleon, had, had long since passed at that time when he was ready. He was able to speak to him and guide him 
through his his abundance of of teaching. So I think it's important to to think about that. Yeah. Uh, did you, if I remember rightly, reading this, um, you co-directed the movie back in 2018. Is that correct? Co-executive producer. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So what would you say from the movie to the book? Because you know, there was a big difference, 2018, 1931, 36, or whatever it is. But how were the two directories or documents or whatever it is that you want to, how are they different from each other? And and again, was there anything relevant in the 2018 times compared to, you know, things that were highlighted in the 30s? Yeah, so thinking over to the legacy, the, the film, it's, you know, you've only got a couple of hours. You've got to make it pretty, pretty visually stunning. The movie The Secret and the book, the book was essentially a transcript of, of the film, whereas Thinking Grow Rich to Legacy, it's very, very different. So what we've done with the book was basically break it up so it follows the linear format of those initial 13 principles from Pauline Hill's Thinking Grow Rich. Mm -hmm. Each chapter starts with a brief overview of the principle in a modern context, referencing people like Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Sarah Blakely, Oprah Winfrey, all of these different people. And then it goes into two short stories for each chapter of people who have been able to personify that principle, people who are you know, there are people who are very, very successful. People like Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank. There are people like Rob Deerdeck, who's got like five television shows. There are these household names, but there are also people who aren't household names. People like Janine Shepard, who was hit by a truck, who, I, who we mentioned earlier. Right. And she is a walking paraplegic who's, who ended up becoming an aerobatics pilot. I mean, she's a very close friend of mine. We, she just moved back to Australia, unfortunately, but her and I were, were chatting almost every day for, for many years. So it's, it's very different. The book is, is very, very different. And my, my one objective with the book was to make sure if this was going to be someone's introduction to personal development and, and their own growth was that they could not feel stupid reading it. So that's why it's an easy read. There's, I, I just feel like stories, it's so much more engaging. People enjoy stories more. They're much easier to remember. And you can also see that someone who is alive today, someone, it's a, it's a true story of these people. You, you're just so much more inspired. Maybe it's someone like John Lee Dumas, who was a military veteran who returned to the US and had absolutely no idea what he was going to do. And he ended up creating a podcast called Entrepreneurs on Fire that has more than 90 million downloads and has created almost $20 million in revenue, independently verified by a CPA revenue that sits on his on his website. I mean, there are stories like this, so you can get their blueprint. All of that is included uh, in Think and Grow Rich the Legacy. And I just, when you, when you think about how most young people learn, they get given textbooks in, in high school and university. I mean, no one wants to read that crap, do they? <laughs> I agree. Absolutely agree. Okay, um, no diss to the educational system. I'm, 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 all, I'm all for it. I think it's nice to have a, a compliment of, of some good engaging stories as a practical stuff too. Uh, or as they say, positive mental attitude, everybody. Okay. We're just not, you know, there could be some improvements, but it's, all <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I wanted to ask you, I know that, you know, cause we talk a lot about success in our conversations, which is great. And, you know, this is a great conversation, you know, I mean, you've achieved a lot of things now in your life, you know, going back from the, you know, 16 year old, you know, crippling anxiety kid to someone who is, you know, success in your own right. But I guess, how does your 
uh, I suppose, not definition of success, but how do you see success now compared to it was, you know, back in the early days? How has it changed for you? Yeah, you know, my, my mindset around money uh, changed as well. Like growing up in Australia, there's something called tall poppy syndrome, where people are happy to see you doing better on the condition that you're not doing too much better than they are. <laughs> and that was, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing as a, as an entrepreneur in Australia, if you launch your own business and you think that you're going to get all this overwhelming support in many ways, there have been strangers from business. You know, I, I have a close group of people who, who support me in everything I do, which I, I really love and I'll never forget that. But there are also many people who find out about your product or your service, whatever it might be, strangers. And it's only once you have this success that other people that you know go, oh, wow, maybe that is an interesting, maybe I should go and support that person. So yeah, that, that, uh, that tall poppy syndrome, all of that made me realize that it was only when I moved to the US that I realized that you only know how much of a bubble you're in when you leave that environment. So I was in a massive bubble for the first 28 years of my life, hanging around the same people, not opening mind to what was, was out there. It was only once I surrounded myself with entrepreneurs when I lived in Boston for a year that I was like, oh my God, not only is there a big world out there, but I can actually create my own businesses and do all these different things as well. Like these were, these were huge lessons for me. And then when I interviewed all of these people for Thinking Grow Rich, The Legacy, it made me realize that the, the desire of money specifically is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very, very good thing because the more resources you have at your disposal, the more you can contribute to the causes that you care about most. And if we do things like this, it's how we raise the standards of living for people everywhere. If you look at some of the people can talk about the difference between socialism and capitalism, but socialism, you know, for the, for the most part makes people poor. Capitalism still has poor people, but it has a lot of wealth and that wealth goes into the innovation of, of healthcare treatments and technology. And on my phone right now, I could one click and have any product I want delivered to my door within 24 hours without any delivery charge. I mean, this is, you could, you could call a car to have someone come and pick you up playing the music that I want uh, playing. Like these are all benefits of, of this system. So I think that that pursuit of money, we just need to make sure we have an alignment of what we want. And that's why with all my win the day branding, it's all about helping people take ownership of their financial, their physical and their mental health. I mean, imagine being a billionaire sitting in this fantastic lavish house but you have, you know, your physical health is in poor shape or you just have no one to share that with because you've ostracized your friendships and, and your family. It's really important to think about what success looks like to you in all areas of your life, but it's important for you to create your own definition. Definitely. It, unless you live in Las Vegas, Nevada, of course, because then you can get your shipments done in about three hours through drones. So um, I think oh, Amazon yeah. are testing that in the airfields right now. So, <laughs> Oh, very cool. I didn't realize that's awesome. Yeah, yeah there's, a big, uh, there's a big bright future of delivery. Absolutely. Jeff Bezos is on it. I'm telling you now. So that's good. <laughs> it's very interesting. I was going to say, from what you know today, right? And I mean, if you was to go into a timing time machine and go back into seeing your young self, what would you say to your young self that you know now? I would say follow your own path rather than trying to be like someone else or, mm. or to try and follow someone else's path. Mm. That, would be, that would be the biggest one. And then apart from that, it would be finding high level relationships of people who aren't in my who aren't in my current age. It would be finding people who are in their 30s, 40s to so that mentorship 
I mentioned earlier that relationships have changed everything for me. But if you're 14, 15 years old, you're looking at following the leader out of your own little group at high school. These no one knows what the hell they're doing when they're in when they're 14 or 15 years old. I mean, they're, it's easy to it's easier to get knocked off course and find out you're in a group of people who don't have your best interests at heart. But if you've got someone, it's actually I, I write a letter to my daughter every year. And in it, I, I include that I hope she's her own life. She's ready to lead it however she wants. But I hope if she's ever in a situation where there's a crossroads and she needs my help, she does put at least some emphasis on the life experience that I bring from having been on this earth for 36 years more than she has. So being younger and being able to find that mentorship of people who have been through all those challenges before means it would be much more likely for me to figure out what's real and what's not real. What are the good paths versus the bad paths? And above all, what, what skills and attributes do I need to acquire? Maybe it's basic public speaking, writing, uh, communication things, but also what industries and things should I learn about? What, what resources can you give me that's going to help me figure out my purpose and my passion younger so I can make an impact, but above all else, feel more comfortable in my own skin so that I can inspire other people to do the same. That's what I would tell my younger self. Nice. That's good advice. Love it. I was going to say, I wanted to ask you a really interesting question because there was something, it's not that it's bugging me or whatever it is, but have you ever been in a conversation where, you know, uh, someone has said to you, I'm going to take ownership. I'm going to say yes to you. I'm going to, and I'm going to just do whatever it is that I need to do in order to get myself from here to here. Right. So that they committed and they've said yes. Right. But for some particular reason, they actually don't follow through. And you talked about ownership, right? But how does one take ownership, right? When they have maybe a limiting belief or maybe they're just not being honest with you or yourself. Any advice of people that are in that situation or in that scenario? Because I know based on conversations that I've had, you know, uh, over the last numerous sort of six months or whatever it might be, there's a lot of people out there. Uh, So any advice of people on that? So my entrepreneurial journey has taught me that sometimes in life, when you try to pull people up, they can end up pulling you down and it takes Mm. you a long time to realize that. So now help my philosophy now around that topic in particular is help the people who want the help, not the people who need the help. That might sound a little bit harsh, but I am all that happens if I try and help everyone. My wife tells me every day you can't help everyone. It's true. I'm done trying to, yeah, I'm done trying to help people who don't want the help. They claim that they want the help, but they don't really. So it's a matter of getting better at figuring out who are the people that really want the help. If anyone really, really wants the help, I'll give you everything I've got. I really mean that. Absolutely everything I've got. I have, you know, a business now called We Are Podcasts that helps existing podcasters make $15,000 in monthly revenue from their show. The number of conversations I've had with people and people should look at my track record to be able to show how serious we are about that along with my business partner who produces podcasts for people like Darren Olin and Gary Vaynerchuk, people who just don't follow through with those things. So then we create systems. We put systems in place uh, like a triage opportunity. So if someone says, hey, look, I want help. I would really love to, to have your help. Then I can say to you, cool, go and fill out this form. And then that form might include a few questions. Now, half the people or 80% of the people, they won't even fill out that form. That means they don't really, really want the help. They might need it but they don't really want the help. And then after that, it might be around scheduling a phone call or or whatever it might be, but you've got to think about what you can do because I I don't want to give someone a short-term spike of inspiration. I want to facilitate real transformation for people. 
So it's on me now to create a process that keeps my cup full while at the same time ensuring the right people come through so we can enact that transformation. So there are a few things that, that I would do to, to help others. Yeah, that's a, some really good points there, James. I, you know, it, it really is. Just sort of last question because I'm conscious of time. You know, what's I know that you're working on a few things in the background and we talked off air about some of the exciting projects that you're working on right now. But, you know, how is it that our audience can help you in, in your pursuit of success and helping others? Yeah, great question. I, I appreciate that. So, yeah, the new book, Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite is out now. If people want to go and grab a copy of that and, and give it a five star rating, of course, if, if only if uh, they've, they've enjoyed it, then that would be great. And also, I'm, I'm really going all in on my on my podcast called Win the Day with James Whitaker. So I've got some really exciting guests coming up for that. It's just an as you know, Adam, I, I'm sure it's created uh, hundreds and hundreds of opportunities for you. But uh, if I had to start all over again, the podcast is the way that I would do it purely for um, the relationships that you can establish alone. Even if no one, you know, obviously there are a lot of other benefits from people who hear the show and, and creating communities and different other things. But the relationships that you establish from having a podcast, not with everyone, but with a lot of people is absolutely life-changing and that is worth the price of admission alone. So if people want to go and check out Win the Day with James Whitaker, they can, yeah, they can see what I do with my show. Very cool. Listen, guys, you've got some call to actions now. So I hope that you are going to now pause this and write it on your piece of paper and make sure that you go check out James's podcast and also his book, because I think that they're definitely going to be worth the weight in gold, if not mistaken. So James, just want to say thank you very much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me on, Adam. And thank you for having such a great podcast. Thanks, man. Listen, guys, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, do me a favor. If you're listening to this on Apple, please, 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 uh, write a review that you feel would be a worthy, it would be a one star or a five star, I don't really care. Always great to get constructive feedback. And if there is a particular guest that you even like would like to hear on the show, you know, we've had some amazing guests so far, then it'd be great to hear from you. So listen, I hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll listen to you on the next Game Changers Experience. Take care and see you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.